0: This is the account of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Why can't he keep Lazarus from dying? And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. Then they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Rolled the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because it has been dead for four days. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go.
1: This story really is at the heart of the mission of why Jesus came. You know, Jesus wasn't the person that just kind of wandered from place to place and kind of where he found himself. He just did whatever was going on. Jesus was a person that was filled with purpose. And uh, he had a crystal clear mission and reason why he woke up every day. And at the heart of that mission was bringing life out of death. I know that's what he's done in my life. You know, Jesus, the purpose and the reason he came was to come into a world that was broken and dead and to bring new life. And uh, so what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about uh, the mission of the church, which means my mission and your mission and The way we're going to do it is, I'm just going to tell you about five people that have been a part of my life story, and then at the end, we'll go back and we'll come back to this account of Lazarus for a minute. Uh, But let's start by just framing it up this way, and no analogy is perfect, so this isn't a perfect analogy, but, you know, Jesus is a founder of an organization. Jesus was a, not a passionate, the most passionate person who's ever walked the face of the earth, and When he left, he wanted to leave an organization in place that would continue his mission, his mission of seeking and saving those who are lost. And so one way to look at the church and being a part of the church, being a follower of Christ, a disciple of him is to say, what is the job description of the organization that I've joined, meaning the church? And so I just I I do a lot of research that never ends up becoming a part of the message, but um, it really annoys my wife because I stay on the Internet and nobody else can check things. And, uh, but I pulled up a couple of websites of a few companies and just, just want to throw some of these out. I thought some of these were worded uh, pretty cool. Um, CVS is a, is a retail pharmacy in America and a lot of competition in that industry. And here's their one sentence uh, um, mission statement. We will be the easiest pharmacy retailer for customers to use. So You know, every single person that joins the organization of CVS understands that their contribution is to lead to this mission statement. Now, I don't know if any of you been to America and shop, but um, CVS is my favorite pharmacy. I didn't know this was their mission until a week ago. But um, if you're going to join that organization, you have to understand this is what it's about. And, you know, somewhere there was a founder and a leader of this organization that was passionate and passed this mission on to the people who worked there. Another Another one, Darden is, is a restaurant company, among other things. But they kind of, in America, again, they they have a lot of kind of mid to upper level restaurants that people go to for entertainment and food. And and here's their mission statement, to nourish and delight everyone we serve. Isn't that a cool way to say it? You know, we're a restaurant. We're Our mission is to nourish and delight everyone we serve. That's kind of different. If you have that mindset, that's different than, you know, I'm just going to clock in and clock out. We want to sell food and make money. No, we want to nourish and delight. That's pretty cool, you know, and the food's pretty good, too. Olive Garden, Red Lobster, a bunch of other places like that. So, um, okay, one more. I did, I I pulled out about 25 of these, but I figured you guys would get tired after after two, so I thought I'd do three just to bother you a little bit. This one, terrible name of a company. I I don't know, it's just probably people's names, but Bristol-Myers Squibb. The Bristol-Myers Squibb Company. If you work there, please don't be angry with me, but here's their mission. To discover, develop, and deliver innovative medicines that help people, help patients prevail over serious disease. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you're a chemist and you've come into this company and you've done all your school work and you're trying to pay back your school loans. But you walk in and you go, I'm showing up every day to help patients who are sick to prevail over serious. That's a lot different, isn't it? See, that's that's the mission of these companies. And one way I want to frame up this conversation today about being a follower of Christ and being in the church and a part of the church is we don't get to make up our mission. My mission is not about my self-actualization, although I think following Christ is the best way for that to happen. I know there's a lot of self-sacrifice involved, but our mission is his mission. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, the heart of my mission, here it is, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Guys, that's what we've signed up as our job description. Let me just be clear. It's not about whether or not we have salvation and go to heaven, whether or not we walk this out perfect. But being a growing disciple of Christ means being engaged in this mission. And if you're in the corporate world, you know that any any good CEO is going to continually repeat the mission statement of the company over and over to the employees. As you work higher up in management, you're constantly going to hear the mission maybe restated in different ways. And Jesus was always restating the mission. A little later in the New Testament, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, who was then carrying the torch uh, with the church leading the way, um, he said the same mission, but he said it differently. And here it is. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. He said, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And I love the way it says this. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. It says his unchanging plan has always been. That's his mission. His mission has always been to adopt us into his own family. That's just another way of saying to seek and to save those who are lost. So the first person I want to tell you about in my story is actually two people in my family. My daughters Amanda and Abby. Amanda's older than Abby by a couple of years. Are two two of our four children and a lot of you we we know uh some of you know our family. We've got four children and two are adopted girls from China. Um 7 years ago, actually 8 years ago, God laid it on my wife and my heart's in a very very strong way to come and adopt a, a child from China. It was such a moving and powerful experience that we then did it again, um, and fortunately we haven't felt the need to be moved again because <laughs> we, we we've been moved enough. <laughs> um, but it's one thing to to have uh, compassion for orphans, you know, and we do we have compassion for orphans, but it's a whole different story. It's a whole different feeling, and God just allowed my wife and I to experience something different that we couldn't have experienced if we didn't adopt because all of a sudden it wasn't like you know boy we care about the plight of orphans in other parts of the world god did something in us in a way that our daughter was on the other side of the planet and she needed us to come get her and it's something that if, as you experienced many of you have and not everybody's called to it as well I'll say that but we were moved with a different kind of passion and focus you know our daughter was in the other side of the world. We didn't know how she was doing. We needed to get to her. And, you know, it cost money to do an adoption. It was of no concern to us whatsoever how much it was going to cost. We had one child already, and so our family was growing. We had a house that wasn't big enough really for a growing family. So we took out a loan, and we added on to the house so that the house would be ready when we finally were able to come to China and bring her back to our family cost us a lot of money to add on to the house cost us a lot of money for the adoption wasn't an issue because we had a mission um, as part of the adoption process a lot of hassle a lot of paperwork to fill out social workers had to come to our house three or four times and look at our finances we had to have letters of recommendation written from people they had to poke and prod our marriage and see if we were capable of parenting and uh, we pulled that one off too <laughs> they don't really check too close <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the, the the point is God God gave us a sense of the mission because He made it personal to us, you know. And God says, "I want to adopt people into my family," you know. And it and it changed us. There was no hurdle we were unwilling to go over, you know. And so we did the adoption. Then we had another child, so we had three. And then we adopted another absolutely amazing, beautiful girl that I can't imagine our family without our little daughter, Abigail, who's almost seven now. And um, But when it came time to adopt her, we had spent a good bit of money on the first adoption, a lot of money adding on to the house. I had just shifted jobs. Melinda had gone from working to being a, a mom, and we decided she would stay home. And financially, it made no sense to go back and adopt another daughter, but God did the same thing. We saw a picture of this little girl. I we said, that's our daughter. And when I added up the finances, we were going to be significantly in the red, in the hole, lacking money to go do the adoption. But it didn't matter. And I'm just saying that to say, that's God's heart. That's Jesus, you know, sped from heaven to earth at the appointed time and was laser focused on his mission. So that we could be adopted into his family, into his father's family. So that's the first, that's the first person in my story is Amanda. Amanda and Abby, and uh, they're pretty cool. Um, The second person in my story is a guy named Greg Gamester. Uh, Greg Gamester was a college golf teammate of mine. He was a year older than me, and um, Greg was a good golfer, and he was a committed follower of Christ. And he used to tell me about his faith. He used to invite me to Bible studies, and I was not in the least bit interested. And we used to make fun of Greg behind his back. He used to talk about them and call him a Bible thumper and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there were a lot of, you know, um, Sunday mornings where Saturday night we would have gone out late and been drinking and woken up late, not feeling good, kind of hung over. And we would stumble to the college cafeteria at 12 o'clock to catch lunch just before the cafeteria closed. And then what we called them at the time, the God Squad, the God Squad would walk in, you know, Dressed nicely, come in to catch lunch after they'd been to church in the morning. Greg was one of them. We used to make fun of Greg. And, uh, but you know what? Greg witnessed to me, and he walked the walk. Meaning, he, 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 he lived the right way in front of me, and I observed that over three years. And just after I got out of college, I had a crisis in my life. I was 24 years old, and my life stopped making sense, and guess who I called? I called Greg because I remembered his witness to me. And I said, Greg, here's what's going on in my life and struggling a bit. Could we talk? And so Greg started doing Bible studies with me like two, three times a week. And uh, then he brought me to his pastor's home and the pastor started doing Bible studies with me. And then I committed my life to Christ and I got baptized. Um, and there's a verse in the New Testament. When I think about Greg, uh, I think about this verse, First Peter 3.15 says this, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and here it is, and if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. See, Greg was right on the mission of the founder of the organization, because when I came to him, he, he knew we made fun of him, you know, he, he knew that, but as soon as I called him, he was ready to give an answer, he was ready to explain why he had hope in Christ. And he was able to be a part of my story of coming to faith in Christ, because he understood the mission of the founder. It was pretty cool that I went from being hostile toward him to open to then finally receiving Christ. Uh, next person in my story is a guy named Doug Weaver. And uh, I love Doug Weaver. I'm still in touch with Doug. And we're talking like a long time ago, like the early 1990s now. Um, I was playing professional golf on small golf tours, traveling different cities around America and even overseas. And Doug was a follower of Christ, and I was brand new at it. I'd not ever read the Bible all the way through. But Doug led a weekly Bible study. It was basically our church because we traveled to different cities each week. And so Doug would put up this sign about Bible study, you know, players' Bible study. And so I showed up to it, and there were four people, me and three others, me, Doug, and two other guys. And week after week, he would put up the sign and invite people. Nobody would come, just the four of us. Uh, But Doug was really the first mentor in my life. Um, you know, he was about the mission of the founder, and so he was teaching me and helping me, and and uh, so week after week, four people, four people. So one night we're in a certain city, and we're in different hotels, but we're going to meet each other and go off to dinner after a day of work. So I drive to his hotel, go to his hotel room, and his door's kind of propped open. So I go in, and Doug's sitting on his bed, and he's got three pieces of paper in front of him, and uh, he's looking at the paper. And I come in, I said, "Hey, you ready for dinner?" He said, "Yeah, let's go." I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Oh, I'm." I'm praying. I said, what do you mean, what do you mean you're praying? So I've got the list of all the players. And I'm praying over all the players. About 180 players each week would be in the field of the golf tournament. I said, well, what do you mean you're, what do you pray like? That they're gonna miss their putts? You know, that they're gonna, I mean, you know, what, what do you do? How, what does that mean? You know? So Doug told me, he said, Ralph, every week on Monday I go to the tournament office and I get a printout of all the players in the field and I pray every night over every player in the field. And that shocked me into silence. I was, like, stunned. I couldn't believe it. You know, so Doug's praying for these people. And week after week, we've got four people at the Bible study. So we were taking turns leading the Bible study, the four of us. I'd never even read the Bible all the way through. But Doug was mentoring me and helping me and saying, hey, why don't you lead one week? So there's one particular week now, a little while down the road. We're in North Carolina. And everybody's staying in the same area because we're in this, this condo development. The players at night would rent for a week. So Doug's like, hey, let's do a cookout. Let's get a bunch of food, do a cookout, invite everybody. Maybe they'll come for the cookout, you know. It's like, oh, good idea, you know. So we had food for about 10, 12 people, you know, we figured might come. And I was teaching that night, and 45 people showed up, right. Now, I've never read the Bible before, and I'm teaching a Bible study for 45 people, right. And I was hyperventilating. Seriously, Doug brought me into, like, the bedroom in the condo before the study, and he's laying hands on me, you know. He's like, Lord Jesus, you know, fill him with your presence, you know. And I was petrified, you know. And I walked out there, and we did this Bible study for these 45 golfers, these peers, these co-workers of ours, and for the rest of the year, we never had less than 25 people come to the Bible study. The whole rest of the year. Seven people gave their lives to Christ that, that year, and were baptized. We baptized them at the end of the year. At different times, different people got baptized. Two of those guys that I was able to lead to Christ and baptize went into full-time ministry and have been in ministries and churches of over 4,000 people, and it's really cool. But you know why that happened? It happened because Doug was praying. That's why it happened. Doug was the leader. Doug was my mentor. And I got to watch him do that. And everywhere I've gone, that happened in 1991, 1992. Everywhere I've gone, I've continued that idea of prayer. Um, I, have, I have a coworker that I work with. Every morning we pray over the people we're going to interact with during the day. Yesterday morning we had a full work day, and we got to work and we pulled out the list we said okay let 's pray and we prayed over all the people we were going to interact with on that day customers, coworkers, the whole bit We do, we do it almost every morning, we forget sometimes because I get there late or something. but um, there has to be prayer. To be involved with what God has called us to do. It's astounding to me in the New Testament you read it. Jesus raised people from the dead, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. We just read about that. Jesus would teach and people would just, you know, fill homes and fill hillsides to see his amazing teaching, right? He was amazing. Then Jesus would go off by himself and pray. But you know what the Bible tells us? The disciples asked Jesus to teach them one thing. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to raise people from the dead. They didn't, they didn't say, Jesus, you're an amazing teacher. Show us how you, what's your outline? You know, what, how do you do that? Disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You teach us how to pray the way you do. See, of all the things that were impressive about Jesus, for the men and the women who walked closely with him, it was his prayer life that was the most standout. So as we want to be engaged in the mission of Christ in the church, has to have prayer, right? So so my friend Doug, uh, amazing mentor in my life. That whole thing happened because Doug got it. He understood the mission of the founder, right? So I go along a few years later, and now because of Doug's mentoring and some others, now I'm the one leading the Bible study. Doug's gone on to better things, and, and there was a guy named John McCullough. My next guy in my story is John McCullough. And uh, John McCullough was an atheist and a loudmouth Um, and, uh, difficult to get along with. He was argumentative and, uh, focused on himself, living for himself. And God just told me to draw close to this guy. And I was like, I don't really want to draw close to this guy, you know, but I did. And for like 14 months, I drew close to this guy. I dinners with him. I played golf practice rounds with him. I roomed with him. We would split hotel bills to, you know, to save money. And I would invite him to the Bible study and he wouldn't come. And then he would come once in a while and he would ruin the whole Bible study. He would just start arguing right away. You know, I'd have prepared to say, oh, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. And, it, and, he would, and I was like, this guy's really difficult, you know. But John came to faith in Christ. And I watched it happen one night in a hotel room. And we were sitting there and I was preparing my study notes to go teach the Bible study. in about an hour from that time. It was an evening, and John looked at me and said, you know, we really need to invite, and I forget who he said now, but he's like, you know, you really need to invite Bill to the Bible study. He needs to, Bill needs to go. The Bible study would really be good for him. You know, And then he's like, and you know, and Tim, you know, Tim, I was playing with him. You know, I think he'd be open to come to the Bible study, right? And I'm doing the Bible study with John for 14 months, rooming with John, and all of a sudden I'm like, I just shut my Bible. And I was like, I'm watching this guy come to faith in Christ right in this moment. And I was able to lead him to Christ. And that week he got baptized. And we went out to the hotel pool at night. We gathered some of the other guys. And we got in the pool to baptize him. And he looked at me and he said, Do you mean to tell me that when I get baptized, this is like all of the sin, all the stuff I've ever done wrong is going to be washed away. And I said, John, that's what water baptism pictures. That's what Jesus has done for you. And John smiled He said, Man, I feel sorry for the people that go swimming in here tomorrow. (Laughter) <laughs> <laughs> But I love it because he got it, right? He understood my sin is washed away. Somebody else has to swim in it, right? So, you know, I I don't always get it right in my story. I mean, there's plenty of times that I didn't show up when God called me to. But in that moment, God let me be a part of John's story because I understood the mission of the founder. Jesus' mission to seek and save those who are lost. And I got to be part of it. Right. So that was years ago when I was playing professional golf and a lot of those kind of things. Neat things happened. But then I left playing professional golf and I get into ministry, which is a fantastic thing to do. And I spent 12 years in full time ministry, uh, was a leader of a church for a while before moving to China. And, but what I noticed about six years ago, I noticed that my whole circle of my life was were Christians. Right. Uh, my co-workers, my friends had become from my church. And I didn't have anything going on in, in my life that was engaging me in people who weren't yet followers of Christ. And so um, I was offered a, a chance to teach at a local college, a golf college. It had nothing to do with, you know, church or the Bible. And I was really busy. We had the four kids. We had moved, added on to our house. I was transitioning into running a church. And I was really busy. I didn't need another thing to do. And I wasn't getting paid much. But I thought, you know what, I think God's calling me to do this because it's going to give me a circle of people to witness to. And so I started teaching at this college just one day a week, but I would teach for four hours, two different classes, from 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock, then I'd go straight to my full-time job. And so every week, just about every week, right, Melinda? I mean, not everyone, but just about every week, I would be up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning preparing for my class. Then I would meet a student. I'd have to leave my house before 6.30 in the morning, and I would meet one of my students. We had 300 students at the college, and over a few semesters, I would pretty much get to know all of them. And... So I would just say, anybody want to have breakfast? And I'd have breakfast with a person and just hear their story and listen to them. And then after class, I would always have lunch with a different person and just build relationship because I felt like that's what God was calling me to do. And of course, I'd get to share some of my story in the context of the classes that I taught. I always shared the gospel. I always gave my testimony. And one of the cl- I taught a psychology class. So I showed a, a clip. A whole message from a pastor that was great about the love of God and how the love of God changes your life. And I use that as a, you know, a key thing about self-esteem and psychology. And um, so anyway, I, I did this, right? And so then my wife and I, I think it was my wife actually decided we needed to move to China. I was, <laughs> no, God said, guys, it's time. It's time to move on. I want you to go to China. And it was unmistakable. And so we did that. And as we were preparing to move, you know, we're transitioning out of my full-time job. I had to, st- a day came where I had to stop teaching at the golf college. But I fell in love with the golf college and these kids because I could see such an impact. They were A lot of them were in their 20s, a bit lost, a lot of them just looking for purpose in life. And so I wanted to do a cookout um, at the college before I left, like have a final cookout and Bible study, like Doug Weaver, right, 20 years earlier did and so I talked to the founder of the school. He's like, Ralph, we'd love to do that. I said, we'll buy the food if you come and you do the Bible study. We were so busy preparing to move that there was one, not one night free in the last three weeks that I could do the Bible study. And with about 10 days to go before we were moving, I just I called the, the president of the school. I said, man, I really wanted to do this, but I just we just don't have any time. And I was so discouraged because I, I felt like God was wanting, I was going to get an opportunity to really lay out the gospel. And so that was it. I just, okay. So we're going about packing and the days are going by. And one of my students who I really liked, he used to stay after class and talk. His name was John and he was addicted to drugs and John overdosed and he died uh, about a week before we moved. And 24 year old kid and a likable kid that was lost, but really likable. And so the president of school called me and said, would you come and do a memorial service at the school for this kid? And so I came and I gave a Memorial service for this young man and laid out the gospel as clear and as forcefully as I could. And in that moment, 25 of those kids accepted Christ and gave their life to Christ. And many of them stay in touch with me to this day, you know, three years later on Facebook. And it was a very meaningful and significant thing that God let me be a part of. And I'm not sharing that story to say, hey, look, here's something I did. I'm saying, here's the opportunities God gives us to be a part of people's stories, right? So, it takes effort and it takes work to be available and to be prepared when God calls us. But this is the mission of the founder, right? I mean, we do a lot of things as believers. We have picnics and we have, you know, different, and it's great. And we do all those things, but they're all for the purpose of the mission, right? So those are five of the people in my life. Now, let's finish up by coming back to Lazarus for a minute. And we'll just, we'll just wrap it up with this um, in a song. Um, Lazarus has died. He's in the tomb. We just read the story. Uh, a lot of you probably knew the story before we read it. And Jesus shows up at the gravesite, and there's a crowd of people with him. And Lazarus has been dead for quite a few days. And Jesus knows that by the power of God, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right? I mean, he knows. He knew days ahead of time Lazarus would die, and then in this moment, he would raise him from the dead. So, Jesus, try to imagine as Jesus shows up at the tomb, the big crowd is there, and he's going to raise the amazing miracle, raise this guy from the dead, right? And Jesus is center stage, right? Now, if I was Jesus, which is a very good thing, <laughs> I know why I'm not, <laughs> you know, I would have blown it everywhere, but if I was Jesus, I would have made a little bit more of a scene. I would have made it a, bit, a little more spectacular, right? Because, you know, in those days, it would have been a cave, and a big heavy stone was in front of the cave, and... I would have done like, you know, you know, the emperor from Star Wars, like, you know, and he had these electric finger bolts and he could pick, I would have like, and I would have moved that stone out of the way, right? And I would have been like, you know, and everybody would have been looking at me like, wow, you know, but Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus said, I want you to go, I want you people to come over here and push that stone out of the way. Jesus didn't need their help, right? But he said, listen, there's a dead man on the other side of that stone. There's something between me and a dead man. And you're gonna play a part. You're gonna move that blockage out of the way. So that that dead man can hear my voice. Do you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of evangelism. Right? You know, when, when God called me to come alongside John McCullough, the pain in the neck who's a good friend and I love him, you know, and spend 14 months with this guy, God was saying, Ralph, I got a stone. That I need you to push out of the way. And it's going to take... Those stones were big, right? I mean, if you read history, people say they were big. More than one person, you know, probably multiple strong men had to push that thing aside. So it takes effort to remove boulders and stones in people's lives. But Jesus is saying, I want to reach this person. And there's something in the way. You're going to move it, right? So they do it. You know, they're like... And I love the King James. I love what we read. I think we read New Living Translation. But in the King James... You know, they come, and say, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Right. If you know the King James, he stinketh. You know, I just think that's one of the coolest lines in, you know, in the King James, you know. Um, But again, Jesus, I would have done it different. You know, I would have said Lazarus come forth and Lazarus would have come out in a three piece suit with a tie on his hair slicked back. Maybe some cool sunglasses on kind of, you know, coming out with a little music or something. I know that was terrible. But what, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says Lazarus came out like this. He was bound, hands and feet, face clothed. He was wrapped in the death clothing. He was wrapped in death. He couldn't talk because his mouth was bandaged and covered. He couldn't really see because his face had covering on it. And he came out like this. Right? He came out wrapped in death. Even though he had a new life on the inside of him, he still had death wrapped around him. And Jesus said, now... You folks, you go over to Lazarus and you unwrap him. You let him go. You get to be a part of the story. right? That's discipleship. That's the business of the church. Move the blockages out of the way so people can see Jesus and hear his voice. And then once they come forth to new life in him, we get to unwrap him and let him go. And I'm so grateful for the people in my life who've been unwrapping me for 25 years now. And there's people in this room that are continuing to unwrap me. Sometimes it hurts, you know. I had a guy that led a men's ministry when I first came to Christ, and I didn't know which side of the end was up. And this guy had a young family and a a busy job. He used to meet me at 4.30 in the morning every week at a restaurant to disciple me and to build into me. Twenty-five years ago, that guy's one of the heroes in my life, and I still stay in touch with him to this day. And he's been unwrapping people for 30, 40 years. So when you're reading your Bible next time, when someone says, what are you doing? Don't say, oh, I'm studying my Bible. Say, man, I'm getting in shape. <clears throat> I'm getting ready to move boulders, man. I'm gonna <clears throat> you know, when you're, when you're going to Taco Tuesdays or, you know, vacation Bible school or whatever you're doing, you know, I'm not, I'm not going, to, oh, i got to go to Bible study. Man, I'm getting ready. I'm waiting for the founder to call me. You know, when you're involved in other people's lives in small group or however God touches you to be a part of someone's life, he's given you a chance to unwrap somebody. And we get to be a part of it. So this is the founder of the church. I just want to finish. That's his mission. I want to finish with this song. I don't know that many would know it. So don't feel like you have to try to sing it. But we'll have the words up. Uh, so many times I leave church, and I think the, the, the songs that we sung, they're like mission statements. You know, and this, this song feels like a mission statement to me. Um, so we'll just listen to it, and then we'll have a quick close at the end here.
2: Sometimes I feel so wet now start to question am I ready for this things you ask my words are not so well upright. if I speak the truth in love even simple words are equal to the task oh Lord let your spirit rise within me till the world cannot deny that you exist this is my only passion the very reason that I leave to make you know to make you see to be your head Oh, I want to be the revelation of your love. Oh, I, I want to make the invisible God visible. My life be an offer, it's completely giver, till there's nothing left but you alone. This is my prayer and my destiny. Life reveals glory so that. made me for this purpose all I have is just one life to give my all to make you know to make you see to be your head be your feet, oh, I want to be a revelation of your love, oh, I want to make the invisible God visible. God visible. Oh wow. I, I want to make the invisible God visible.